we're celebrating our sixth anniversary of Oak Church today. Uh, so really excited for that. Um, nor, it's, a, it's certainly a strange experience this year uh, to be doing this this way. And I've had that feeling in, I was talking about this feeling with Meg uh, earlier and Katie uh, earlier this week. It's like, normally this week is characterized by party planning, by the um, making sure our, our catering is right and our music is right and that there will be pumpkins delivered and our neighbors will be invited because uh, if you've been around Oak Church for more than a year, you know that when we uh, celebrate our anniversary, it's, it's a celebration for the whole neighborhood. Um, and so uh, we, we definitely uh, mourn the inability to throw a super spreader event to celebrate ourselves. Um, but uh, <laughs> because we're not going to do that, um, we're going to celebrate together on here. And um, uh, it's, it's a really uh, uh, beautiful and bittersweet thing, this, this ministry that the Lord has made here in Lakewood and Durham, because we are gifted with so many uh, beautiful and dynamic people. Some some people that uh, have been in, in Lakewood for a long time and, and some who plan to be there for a long time, but also some who are only here for a short time. Um, and uh, just this past week, I was reading in this uh, this book by Howard Thurman. Last week, our, our guest, uh, uh, Pastor Byron, uh, spoke about Howard Thurman. And just, just to remind you, Howard Thurman was a church planner and planted one of the uh, planted the first multi-ethnic church in America in San Francisco in the 50s. And he wrote this like uh, church planning manifesto called uh, Footprints uh, in the Dark. And, um, and in it, I was so encouraged because he talks about uh, how many people um, were part of their fellowship for a short period of time and then were went out and were spread out all over the country and all over the world. And he, he talks, and I really resonated how... Uh, at times, it's discouraging to have all these beloved people who the Lord bonds you to and fellowship uh, have to leave. And I know many of y'all have felt uh, the sorrow of that, and we always feel the sorrow of that as a community. But he talks about it in, in amazing terms and, and in positive terms. He says, I viewed this marginal turnover in very positive terms. He says, to me, it meant every person who had become part of the church had been exposed to the experience of a particular kind of fellowship. It was a common experience to me to meet people all over the United States who say, I was a member of Fellowship Church for 10 months when I was in California, and it has made all the difference to me in how I feel about people. And, and so I really resonated with, with that from Pastor uh, Thurman, because I I, I hear that and I hope that that the, the folks who uh, go out and are sent their their time, even though it might have been brief with Oak Church and contributing to Oak Church will make all the difference in what they uh, know and think about God and people in the places that they're sent. And to have a little bit of a, a testimony and experience of that, I've invited a few folks um, to uh, to talk about, to give uh, brief updates on what they um, are up to these days, and also uh, some of the some of the memories and experiences they had at Oak Church. And before I um, uh, get into those, first I also want to acknowledge um, uh, 
Mark and Libby Acuff are on this call and they're, they're hiding behind the name Jack Parham on, on their screens. But Mark uh, was my mentor and, and the longtime pastor until recently on his retirement of the Gathering Church. And they sent us to Plant Oak Church uh, more than six years ago. And I dug up this old picture of, of the night in our leadership team when we decided that, that, that this was a smart and spirit-filled thing to do, to plant a church at Lakewood Baptist Church by sending Chris and Rachel Brothersill and, and others from the Gathering Church to establish a worshiping community and neighborhood ministry. And you can see the date on that the 23rd of June. So uh, we're so happy and honored that Mark and Libby are with us and uh, still partnering with us in this good, slow work in the neighborhood. Um, uh, I want to invite Bryn Pendrick first to share. Um, Bryn, tell us about what you and your family are up to these days and where you are and something about your time at Oak Church. Um, so hi everybody. It's good to see so many familiar faces and so many new faces. Uh, I'm Bryn Pendrack. I was on part of the original plant steering committee, um, way back when, and these days, uh, my husband Jay and I, and our two boys, Benjamin and Micah, uh, we live in Southwest Ohio. Um, we are hunkering down in, in the pandemic. Um, I still work for a school district um, in North Carolina, do that remotely and have been doing that remotely. Uh, Jay works for Unilever uh, in Cincinnati, but he's also working remotely. And we're, we're hanging in, you know, managing little people and we got a quarantine puppy. So that's been, that's been our joy um, and chaos in this time. Um, I like got overwhelmed upon reading the prompt of like all of the ways that like Oak still, I'm going to get teary. That Oak has just imprinted on our family. Um, we still have uh, Reigns for Roots Bible books and Ben will frequently break into song about God made the sun. Um, we have gifts that y'all bestowed upon our babies. We still have a tiny little monkey that Abby and Eva Wilson gave Ben when he was a baby. Um, I remember, <laughs> and we'll always remember Ned breaking into laughter when we did our epic fail of a gender reveal cake at a potluck. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so for us, like as we've, we're sort of in, in a church limbo right now, we have been looking at community churches and there's just not nothing that's the same um, as Oak that we've been able to find yet. Um, we, the, the approach to community, the approach to humanity, um, the ability to listen and learn and bring in guest speakers. Like um, I'm still sharing Christina Cleveland's texts um, and just the, the presence of, of both locality and the ability to really um, value people. I think has stuck with us from, from Oak most of all. Um, definitely remember um, lots and lots of time in the nursery, lots and lots of time when the garden was not quite what it was. Um, but for us, um, we just continue to manifest the lessons of, of local impact of people first. Um, and then there's just lots of lessons learned from all the individuals that like we knew 
um, new and grew it there. So Jay and I will frequently, one of our um, Oak small groups, we had done an Enneagram study and we will frequently refer to what would Dan Enerson do um, and how we choose to live our life. Um, and so we're just, we're, we're so grateful for the time that we had at Oak and we are continuing to look for the best proximate um, that we can have. And we've been grateful to be able to, to hop into Zoom a few times here in this bizarro reality that we live in. Thanks so much, Bren. Uh, I, I always am very reflective of this time and, and, and also like timelining people and things. And, and uh, I, you know, the picture that is up right now uh, of you uh, painting faces, I, I always think about, about that uh, pretty indel indelibly. And also uh, you, you taking over um, holy yoga from Stacia. Uh, and running that for a, a period and that being such a healing and hospitable practice for, for our folks. So, yeah. Thanks so much for, for sharing, Bren. Um, uh, next up are kind of a, an Oak Church celebrity, um, the, the first pastoral intern of many amazing pastoral interns and someone who uh, had, had the, uh, the, uh, honor of living in two very close houses, not just one, but two very close houses to the actual church um, and, and a master uh, mushroom finder and hopefully safe eater, Joey Morningstar. Uh, Joey and his family are in Arkansas these days. And Joey, I'd love for you to share a little bit of what you're up to. Okay. Yeah, still finding mushrooms, uh, so that's good. <laughs> Still live across the street from a church. Um, we, uh, for those of you who don't know us, I'm, we're the Morning Stars. This is my wife, Kelsey, and my oldest, our oldest child, Margo. Calvin's running around. We're expecting a third. Um, yes, and Calvin's, or yes, Margo's brother, Calvin, is ruining what she's doing. And she was just asking, why does he always do that? So we're, we're learning hard things about brothers and sisters. Um, Brent, I, it was nice to hear the shout out to just kind of how Oak shapes and also roots you at the same time. Because it's just, there's no uh, replacing it. But um, we lis we're listening to Rain for Roots, Margo and Calvin Calm God songs. Um, that's been a good way for us to keep doing formation with the kids during COVID. Um, Kelsey's working in an agency uh, that works with Walmart and does a lot of uh, work with the vendors there. Um, I'm working at a therapeutic school in town. Um, I think one theme that I'm just remembering from our time at Oak and even now is just seems like none of the really good and kind of life-changing ideas, at least in my story, have never been my idea. Like Oak Church was just right across the street and I, I wasn't even going to visit for some reason. And then Kelsey's like, why would you not? Let's just go. You know, the garden was there and that was a big part of, I like the garden was a big deal for me, but I didn't start it. 
I think ah, Bryn, I think you guys started that. We uh, did, and we're so grateful to hand it off. <laughs> but it, I don't know. There's something just about listening and being what with what's already there that's so fundamental to Oak, but that really has implanted itself pretty deep within me. I mean, I'm in. I'm almost done with graduate school again. Uh, I'm in school to be a counselor, and I think. I've been listening to things my whole life, but Oak Church really had me listening to like our neighborhood and the people and our congregation in a really new way, uh, in a deeper way. And with a lot of hope too. Um, listening with hope, I think is, that'd be the tagline if I had to say like, what did you do or what did you learn at Oak? And because of the people there, it's like how to listen with hope. Um, yeah, it's yeah. We miss you guys. I still listen to uh, the sermons every day on my way to my internship for counseling. It's like my uh, so I psych myself up for counseling. It's y'all's <laughs> gathering still. So I feel I feel really I still feel quite close to what y'all are doing. But it, we miss you too, for sure. Thanks. It, it, it's so good to see uh, uh, your family uh, in, in the way that God keeps growing your family. Uh, Joey, Joey was, was the first of a lineage of interns who um, didn't really think that they wanted to be pastors or do normal things that pastors do. And uh, most, of, most of the convincing was uh, just do what you're doing and you'll be very successful at being a pastoral person to the people who are around you. And so it was really gratifying um, uh, years later and probably years ago now uh, when Joey out of the blue texted me and said, I didn't think that I could preach or like to preach. And now I'm an interim preacher and it's kind of cool and I can do it. And I said, yeah, I know you, that you can do it. You did it with us. So uh, it's really cool to see the way God continues to work and is uh, working uh, with y'all. Uh, thanks so much for sharing. Uh, lastly, and, and I'm sure we could go on all day with some of these stories, but I want to invite uh, Carolina uh, Camel, uh, a more recent Oak folk um, who her and her husband, Mark, now live in the Boston area. Uh, Caroline, will you tell us what you guys are up to these days? Yeah. Hey, guys. Um, I'm Carolina. This is my husband, Mark. Um, we uh, were a part of Oak Church for about like a year, a year and a half. It wasn't it was a short stint, um, but it was a wonderful one. Um, we had come out of like some toxic church environments um, and were in recovery. And I honestly didn't, and we, you know, we worked in ministry and I, for a long time, I thought like, that was it. We're ne never like gonna work at a church ever again. I just wanna go to church and glean. I don't want to be, don't wanna do that ever again. <laughs> and um, slowly but surely, you know, um, Oak kind of like softened, soften our hearts again to like actually want, wanting to be a part of um, a community and, and be involved deeply. Um, we are currently in Massachusetts. Um, 
I'm, we moved here. I got a job in, in Boston. Um, I work for a nonprofit architecture firm um, called Mass Design Group. You guys might know them. They designed um, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery, Alabama, also known as the Lynching Museum. Um, so uh, a, a group I highly respect and, and um, I, it was a wonderful opportunity. So we moved up here and um, Mark is still freelancing which is great. Um, things are slow now because of COVID. You can't travel as much, but um, we're doing well. Um, and this prompt that Chris gave of like, you know, a memory, I, I was reflecting on it and I couldn't come up with a single memory, but rather a like, a a, like a deluge of memories came of like a lot of little memories. Um, and I think that was something that I really just like was emotionally tied to. It was almost like a, an aroma came over uh, with all of these memories and it's hard to describe um, because it's, yeah, it's not just one. It was just like, I even made a list, like as far as I could remember, it was like, oh, we went like going to Brian's shows, watching movies with um, with Emily, gardening with Nan, dancing with Joe, hiking with Jana and Courtney, exchanging dad jokes with Chris, um, cooking with Shirley and Calvin, crying on Stephanie's shoulder, giggling with Sarah Neff, roller skating with Bethy, um, getting bear hugs from Sam, exchanging office jokes, trivia with Anna. And it just like kept going. And, and I think that was something that was wonderful about Oak that it wasn't us just coming to church on Sunday. It was like an invitation into our lives of all of these people coming in alongside us in whatever was going on in our lives. And then us joining them in theirs. It, yeah, it wasn't just a place to come on Sundays. It was doing life with people is what, what I loved most. Um, and also the humility of Oak. And it was just a wonderful place to just like feel at home and, and not feel like we had to like present ourselves in any type of way or, um, or you know, bring our best. We came as messy as we were and um, and feeling, yeah, that hospitality, that home. And then, um, and then that hope yet again to like joining the steering group. Like I didn't think I would ever do something like that again. And um, so it's a wonderful, beautiful place. And I'm really happy um, that I got to dig, dig deep as I did, even if it was for a short amount of time. Thanks, Carolina, uh, for sharing. And uh, I think I'll always remember um, uh, about uh, Carolina here is uh, um, not not coercing, but talking you into preaching in something that you you didn't think you wanted to do or could do, and and then how how nervous you were that you were going to accidentally cuss when you preached. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we all benefited from your your wisdom and in, in, uh, in words. So thanks so much for sharing. You guys, we miss you so much. And uh, I mean, these are amazing testimonies and kind of capsules of God's grace and the gifts 
that come through people in this community and but they're not this isn't you know this is an ongoing story and so even some of the people on this call who i've have even connected during this COVID time um uh had, there's the opportunity and, and, and I see you and we see you as, as gifts from God um, to be a part of this community and to enrich others, um, to bless us so that we might be blessings to many. So uh, thank you all for vocalizing some, some of those experiences and hopefully they'll grow in the rest of us in awareness of the ways that God is working and gifting. I want to invite um, Calvin and Shirley to read our scripture, a familiar scripture, if you've been around uh, Oak for often from Isaiah 61. The Lord God's spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for Zion's mourners, to give them a crown in place of ashes, oil of joy in place of mourning, a mantle of praise in place of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness, planted by the Lord to glorify himself, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore formerly deserted places. They will renew ruined cities, places deserted in generations past. Foreigners will stay and shepherd your sheep and strangers will be your farmers and vine dressers. You will be called the priests of the Lord, ministers of our God, they will say about you. You will feed on the wealth of nations and fatten yourself on their riches. Instead of shame, their portion will be double. Instead of disgrace, they will rejoice over their share. They will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and dishonesty. I will faithfully give them their wage and make with them an enduring covenant. Their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that they are a people blessed by the Lord. I surely rejoice in the Lord. My heart is joyful because of my God, because he has clothed me with clothes of victory, wrapped me in a robe of righteousness, like a bridegroom in a priestly crown and like a bride adorned in jewelry. As the earth puts out its growth, as a garden grows its seeds, so the Lord God will grow righteousness and praise before all the nations. Lord, Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you all. So I think you can tell a lot about a person by their favorite Bible book or Bible passage. The ones that come back, the ones that uh, you memorize when you're a kid, the ones that form you the ones that have an outsized influence on your faith. I mean, you know all these sorts of people. There are like Paul people. There are red letter Christians. There are like Ten Commandments types. There are Sermon on the Mounts folks. 
There are people who are way too into the book of Revelation, and there are even people who love 2 Corinthians as their favorite, right? We're all formed by these passages. We're also even formed by passages we omit. Like famously, and, uh, you know, there's a, a slew of heretics, right, who, who omit passages. Famously, Marcion conceived of a Bible without an Old Testament and only like 11 books uh, Luke and 10 letters from Paul to support the fact that he thought the God of the Old Testament, the God of Jesus were altogether different. Uh, Thomas Jefferson supposedly took his pen knife to every passage in the New Testament that, that like he couldn't conceive of empirically, like with science. And he wound up with this like cut up book that excluded Jesus's miracles and the resurrection. Uh, even um, from last week, the story of Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman's uh, grandma, who is so influential to his faith, Nancy Ambrose, taught Howard Thurman how to read a Bible without Paul because the plantation masters in Madison County, Florida, who enslaved her, propped up a dehumanizing theology by leaning on St. Paul, and she couldn't conceive of how the same apostle could in any way be liberative. So it was great when Pastor Byron led us in a reading of Paul's letter to Philemon. In summer of 2014, we met together, that core team that in, included Bran and others, and we met to pray and to organize for Oak Church. We didn't know that it was going to be called Oak Church at the time. We just, we had a place before we had anything else. And we went around and around trying to come up with some sort of mission or vision statements to guide us as a church. You know, there's always like a tidy troika of words like love God, love each other, love the world, or like worship community and mission or something like that. And those are all great. I'm not like banging on those. That Those are necessary and they organize our thoughts in those sorts of buckets. But we wanted something more animating, something more exciting, something more sustaining. And that's when we came upon what seems to have been one of Jesus's favorite passages, Isaiah 61 that Calvin and Shirley just read. Sure, Jesus seems to be immersed in the law and prophets in Psalms so much so that if you prick him, they like ooze out of him. On the cross at the time of Jesus's greatest agony, it was precisely the words of the Psalms that started to come out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commit my spirit. Psalm 22 and 31, respectively. But at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, the first time we hear him preach in Luke 4, he unrolls the scroll and starts reading from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then in like a mic drop moment, he finishes, rolls up the scroll, and says, today that scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. For us, that was it. <laughs> For us still, that's it. That somehow... These words of Jesus have been fulfilled and are to this day and into the future still being fulfilled in our midst. 
that we could take this incredible and inspiring. And when I say inspiring, I mean like spirit filled vision of the gospel to the poor, healing for the broken, freedom to the captives and Jubilee. And then we can experience that together and extend that experience in this place called Lakewood. The passage continues beyond Jesus, what Jesus quoted. And it continues to include all these things that just pinged for us in that room. I, I still remember when we first read it. Comfort for the morning, praise in place of discouragement, beauty making and rebuilding and restoring and renewal to people and places who have been left or forgotten or lost. There's a hope for inclusion and hospitality, making room for strangers and foreigners to get in on the action. And there's a love for justice that is like the primary proof of concept. This chapter opens with an imagery of a grove of oaks, where we get our name. And it finishes with the imagery of a garden growing slowly and surely and inauspiciously as God grows righteousness and praise before the nations. Needless to say, we have our work cut out for us, even as we celebrate the work that's already been done to embody this vision in a specific place is kind of like bottling up the ocean. But it has always been, and I pray that it always continues to be a work of developing a robust biblical, like scriptural imagination for healing, for hope, healing, and hospitality in Christ together in this place. And, and because I'm me, I, I see this in a Venn diagram. I, I get in, in trouble for my Venn diagrams, but how this is working is this, this, this vision of, of, of the prophet, this spirit inspired vision of Isaiah 61, then, then finds its place in this Lakewood neighborhood in, in West End amongst our neighbors who have been here for a while. And it inspires us with this scriptural imagination so that the things that we're doing, sometimes we set forth to do them because we are inspired by these words. And sometimes, sometimes the Lord works in us to do them. And later we describe them in these terms of renewal and rebuilding and renovation. Over these past six years, we've seen this vision coming alive. I've seen this community, this Oak Church community, be good news to the poor. And in so many ways, I've seen our poor brothers and sisters become good news to us. Once upon a time, I got used to seeing this weekly at our potluck meal that several folks already mentioned. One of my favorite things was to spend about 10 minutes upstairs after our worship gathering, like meeting new folks, catching up with old friends and tidying up so that our friends from Kanu could come behind us and worship. And then I'd come downstairs to the fellowship hall to a potluck meal that was already underway, a feast that was, that was already spread. I still think that these tables, and I'm, I'm so looking forward to getting back to them. These tables are some of the most beautiful and delicious tables in all of Durham. And that's saying a lot because Durham is an amazing food town. So our tables with chatty six-year-olds sitting across from unhoused neighbors and far from home grad students and breaking bread together and basking in the glow of Christ's presence that we've all just experienced at the Lord's table at communion. Now at these more mundane 
tables, these folding tables in a fellowship hall. Maybe you're sitting next to or across from someone that you have absolutely nothing in common apart from Christ's presence. People's bodies and spirits at these tables are being nourished as the spirit knits us together, gives us fellowship, helps us mourn with those who are mourning and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And y'all, I'm starving for these tables and I hope to safely return to them soon. But in the meantime, those tables have morphed into these tables in our homes and into the Lakewood communion practice where the same ethos continues. Also, this week, I, I at Pastor Meg's urging, I uh, sat down and tried to start making a timeline. And this was an amazing reflective practice. So as I look over the timeline of these past six years, and as I look forward into the future, I see a few themes emerge over and over uh, amongst all these names and actions and things that happen. One of the themes I see emerge is partnering with others in this good, slow work because we can't do it alone. On this, li on this list, and this is not exhaustive, uh, we ran out of space in a few places, but on this list, there are so many local and beyond local people and organizations represented here. And also like between the lines, there are people um, during this time and in these past six years who give and gave generously and quietly in support of this work. Um, even in some cases after they've moved away, there are people who have given generously of their time, volunteering in places where people don't see the, the nursery, the garden, um, other things, uh, musicians. There are organizations on this list that specialize in a certain kind of renewal work that we couldn't do on our own, so we join in on it. There are voices uh, represented here that we uh, continue to listen to. And, and Brent, I'm completely with you. I, st I still hear um, uh, some of these sermons replay uh, over these years, sermons from people like Jeremy Begbie in our first Lent or Christina Cleveland, uh, the, next, the next Lenten season, my friend Mike Boone, who's no longer with us, and J.R. Briggs from Ecclesia, and even more recently from from Charlene Brown, I think of Meg Hoffman's um, Lamentations sermon. Uh, all of these, these partnering with others, these many voices and many hands represented in this work. I also see a theme of generativity and beauty uh, all throughout this. Even when we were small, even though we still are small, an outsized footprint of of making and appreciating beautiful things in the neighborhood. And those are things like our communion arts project and um, uh, sermon related things, murals that are happening. Um, uh, even more recently, things like our, our, um, our resident for uh, residency for artists, our stations in the street, even some things that we're starting to, to work up for our Advent season together. Uh, I think of a mentor that I, took classes with in divinity school, Sam Wells, who would always say, uh, even about some of the sad things that we encounter, you can't always make things happy, but if you can't make them happy, at least make them beautiful. And this seems to be um, part of the ethos and work and a theme that I see throughout here. Um, and, and lastly, a theme I see on here 
It's just uh, our, our growth in justice, in developing a heart towards justice, a hunger and a thirst towards righteousness. I see ways that um, none of the small ways that God has moved us in these things and is continuing to move us in these things is ever wasted. I, I still hear the words of Christina Cleveland that, that uh, Lenten season who asks us for our Lenten practice to grapple with our own whiteness and the ways that we are tangled with systems of sin and death in this world. I, I see in, in uh, joining in um, a Racial Equity Institute workshop and now more recently hosting uh, the training for uh, uh, learning to be a good neighbor. I, I see those all connected to the same work and only ever made possible by small steps of courage and jumping into something that we didn't really know what we're doing. Um, that God is continuing to grow and to form our hearts to love what God loves and namely that's justice and peacemaking. So from here in our at the beginning of our seventh year together, that's, that's pretty wild. I can't help but think that there's a particular way, maybe there's not just one, but I think of a particular way to continue to grow in the scriptural imagination for hope, healing, and hospitality in Christ that leans into God's desire for, uh, leans into God's desire for and God's provision of rest. And that's what I think of in the seventh year is rest. That year of the Lord's favor in Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, which has been fulfilled and embodied by Jesus, is an allusion to the Jubilee year, that seven times seven uh, year moment of forgiveness and freedom and rest for the weary. And Lord knows that entering into the seventh year, we are all uh, in some state of restlessness. So I pray that we lean into this year together as some sort of Sabbath or like sabbatical year of rest. I'm not exactly sure what this means, but I think that it means at least two things. I think it first means that we're going to need to be deliberate in order to, to get rest. Uh, the other day on a regular pastors group call, I mentioned the upcoming anniversary and that we would be celebrating like this. And a couple of these other experienced pastors and church planners, they blushed because they'd seen over and over how the seventh or so year in churches tends to be really difficult. It's often a time of burnout or conflict to stare down. This is pretty daunting. Like I, I, I kind of didn't want to share much more after they started to say that. Um, and like my unhealthy versions of, uh, avoidance started to kick in, but I think to be deliberately seeking Christ rest together this year for us is, is not really to like disengage or to check out. It's not like to press pause on all of these good things that we've been up to. I, I don't think our seventh year in this will be blank because we're just resting for a year. I don't think it's, it's also, I don't think resting will be for like waiting, us all waiting together for things to get back to normal before we continue. I think our rest will be discerning when Christ is calling us to slow down, to make room for regular rhythms of stepping back from the din and the buzz of like hyper connectedness and new cycles 
we're, we're all in front of screens so much. And I know that that creates a level of fatigue that we need rest from and we need to be disciplined in what and who we let in so that we can opt for God's still small voice rather than the blare of pundits. And so that we can over and over again, choose real connection with the places where Christ is and where Christ meets us, the poor, the suffering, the children, the stranger, the refugee, our neighbors. Unfortunately, in this time of pandemic, that connection might not be as incarnational or might not feel as incarnational as we'd like. We might be in for quite a bit more social distance and Zoom, I'm sorry to say, phone calls and text. I realize that some of these technologies are exactly the sites of unrest for a lot of us. This sort of year of uh, the Lord's favor will need to be deliberate then if we're not just to let this time fly by us in the midst of a world of fatigue and stress around us. We'll have to be wise in what we pick to engage and, and how we choose not to disengage. We'll have to be deliberate. Secondly, the sabbatical year together that is in any way related to Jesus or Isaiah's idea will also be liberative. It'll be deliberate, but it'll also be liberative. This means that it is not primarily for you that though you too might be caught up in the freedom that comes from making others free. The year of Jubilee was a time when slaves were freed and debts were forgiven. And I know that sounds downright Marxist in our current political environment, but I lean on the voice and the wisdom of like biblical scholars like Walter Brueggemann that talks about Sabbath as being an antidote to anxiety and an act of resistance in the formation of an alternative, an alternative existence where we have the awareness and the practice of the claim that we are situated on the receiving end of the gifts of God. The idea being by simplifying, by doing less, we resist idols that claim us and clamor to be the Lord of our lives. These idols try to make us into producers or consumers rather than humans who are made in the image of God and who can cultivate and glory in that image in others. So y'all rest and hear this good news in a time where most of us feel like we're not doing anything right or well or efficiently. You can rest in the fact that you are not what you do. Your identity and your standing before God has nothing to do with what you are able to do or get done, nor is it threatened by what you are not able to do or get done. Sisters and brothers rest in the fact that God not only provides rest to snap us out of the illusion that the world depends on us, but actually commands it. And it's said around pastors, and I think it's probably true with others, that if pastors uh, break nine of the commandments, we get fired. But if we break the commandment for Sabbath rest, we probably get a raise, right? We're probably really successful. So let that be kind of a cautionary tale to us that, that we need to sink into the Sabbath rest that is not only suggested, but is commanded of us. So my, my hope is that together, even in this season that we're mostly apart, we'll grow to rejoice and give thanks for God's good gifts around us. Even 
really closely around us as some of us are home too much and the walls are closing in. That these very places, these small and sometimes like hidden in plain sight places that God has put us, that God is asking us to see and join in Christ's presence and mission. Like Joey said, inviting us to, to listen well with patience and to see well with patience. I hope that you can sense how dynamic and how active this sort of rest is. This Jesus, this is like a Jesus rest that would choose to heal on the Sabbath rather than to sit idly by as others suffer. But this is also a really robust rest that draws power and sensitivity from a deep well of intimacy with God and a trust in God's provision. Friends, I pray that we all grow and continue to grow together in this scriptural imagination, that we are profoundly inspired by the spirit of the Lord spoken through the prophets and blowing through the neighborhood. This is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and lives in us to give us hope, healing, and hospitality in Christ. This is the spirit that will allow us to receive and offer in gospel partnerships that'll let us grow in generativity and beauty making and will grow in us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. All the while resting in the God who loves us, who gives good gifts to us and who grants us peace. Thanks for being a part of this good, slow work together. Will you all pray with me? Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for these good gifts and, and mostly for the good gift of time and the ability to reflect on time. Time together, time with you, time in the neighborhood and with our neighbors, time with those who are hurting, and um, time um, into the future to continue to partner and grow um, to uh, join you in this mission. Lord, give us um, that right amount of patience and that right amount of urgency, that right amount of action, and that right amount of rest. Give us vision and scriptural imagination. I think of the words of uh, Wendell Berry in that poem where it, he, he tells us that our main crop could be the forest that we did not plant and we will not live to harvest. So I'm so thankful for people who come and go in the middle of this stream of your work in this world. Thanks for, for that good work and for these good co-laborers. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.